Hear now the word of God. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall come, excuse me, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains all that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, to your preached word, and we want to say, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your words. We want to confirm that we delight more and more in and with you and your words. May it be so. Amen. Psalm 119 is often referred to as the long psalm. In fact, it is the longest psalm in the Bible, extending uh, to over 168, excuse me, 176 verses. Psalm 78 is the closest, and it is only 72 verses. It is 104 verses behind Psalm 119. And it is the longest chapter in the Bible. But it is worthy. It is worthy of our reflection. Because as Charles Bridges commented, it contains the anatomy of experiential religion, the interior lineaments of the family of God. The doctrine of this text is Psalm 119 is an extended prayer and reflection on God's Word. If we reflect on this, we will love God and love His Word more and more. If If you will give ear to me, I think I can convince you. In the exposition, I will begin by stating what is Psalm 119. The second thing that I will direct your eyes to is to realize the assumptions of Psalm 119. The third and final heading that I will speak of is the convictions of Psalm 119. In summary, what is it? Two, the assumptions. And three, the convictions. Let's begin with what is it? What is Psalm 119? I answer, it is a literary masterpiece. Psalm 119 does not have a superscript, so we do not know the author. It is not described as David's or anyone else for that matter. However, you can see why significant numbers of commentaries ascribe it to David because 
of this literary prowess. Psalm 119 is an acrostic from beginning to end. It is divided every eight verses by a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet that consists of 22 letters. If you are in Psalm 119, you will notice this. Every eight verses begin with a different letter of the alphabet. If you have ever wondered what these divisions are and why they occur, they are in, they are in Hebrew. Aleph is the letter A in English. Beit is the letter B in English. And Gimel is the letter G, and so on. Not only are they divided up according to the Hebrew alphabet, but every verse starts with the same Hebrew letter. Verse 1 through 8, for example, begins with the letter Aleph, or A. And every verse in between begins with the same letter, A. That is simply staggering. William Cowper calls it a holy alphabet, so plain that the children may understand it, so rich and instructive that the wisest and most experienced may every day learn something new from it. Psalm 119 is a literary masterpiece. Further, it is a reflection on the Word of God. The content of this psalm is the Word of God. 176 verses each contain reflection and meditation on God's Word. These familiar lines from verse 9 say, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And again, to prove this point, verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The word of God is expressed in synonyms as God's law, testimonies, statutes, precepts, commandments, righteousness, truth, and so forth. According to Leland Riken, the eight synonyms appear 178 times in 176 verses and are present in some form in all but five verses. Therefore, the content is God's Word expressed in different terms. It would be wise to meditate upon these things and you will learn to love God's Word as well. Psalm 119 is an extended prayer. Charles Bridges said, The whole psalm is in the form of an ejaculatory address, with the exception of the first three verses. Ejaculatory address means prayer. People often miss this point, but look at verse 4, for example. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He prays to the Lord that he may keep his statutes. And verse 8 says, I will praise you. 
I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. The author vows that he will praise the Lord. He also prays the Lord will keep his statutes and not forsake him. Do you see that this is an elaborate, extended prayer? A 174-verse prayer of reflection on the Word of God. The second point that we will consider is, is reflecting on the assumptions of Psalm 119. So let's turn to that. The assumptions of Psalm 119 are first that the ones who read Psalm 119 properly will be regenerate or have experienced the new birth from the Spirit of God. Hear these words and say otherwise from verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The unregenerate cannot say such things. They have not stored up the Lord's word in his heart or else they would believe. And they don't care about sinning against God. They do it every day and don't bat an eye about it. And verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. This is not the prayer of an unregenerate man. Only the regenerate man can and will ask God to behold wondrous things in your law. The unregenerate holds the law in contempt because, as the Gospel of John says, it convicts them of sin. But if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you will pray these things. Verse verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And verse 47, For I find delight in your commandments, which I love. If you haven't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you cannot say these things. But if you have been, you will pray these things and ask the Lord to help you keep His law. And that brings us to our second assumption of Psalm 119. The ones who read Psalm 119 properly will love God. He who loves God loves God's Word, which indicates that he loves God. You can't do, you can't do one without the other. Verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. As Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Or further, in verse 147 and 48. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And 148. I will lift up my hand toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. 
This is an expression of loving God's works and word. And in verse 132, to, to help me confirm the point, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. As I said, he who loves God indicates that. As I said, he who loves God indicates that love by loving his word. This leads us to our third assumption. The one who reads Psalm 119 properly wants to grow in holiness. This is declared in the abundant descriptions of God's law. As John Brown of Haddington commented, the law of God as a rule of life in its whole extent is the regulating standard of our sanctification. This is stated in the very first words of the psalm. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy and fortunate are those whose way is blameless. And only those who are happy, who, wa- or who walk in the law of God. This is a new covenant promise dressed in Old Testament garb. Suffice it now to say that only the Lord Jesus has been blameless, walking in the law of the Lord in every thought, word, and deed. But every believer in Christ Jesus, according to the New Testament epoch, belongs to the new covenant, that which the Lord stated starting in Jeremiah 31.31. I'll read that. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the days when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. It continues in verse 33. Declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Suffice it to say now, only the Son has kept these words of Psalm 119.1. And he imputes to the people of God that blamelessness or righteousness. This leads us to our final assumption of Psalm 119. The one who reads Psalm 119 properly will love the Son. Why do I say He loves the Son? The Son has not been revealed in Psalm 119 anywhere. So why do I say that the one who reads this Psalm properly will love the Son? He who loves the promises loves the Son. It is most clearly stated in verse 154. Plead my calls and redeem me. Give me life according to your promises. In this verse, the author asks the Lord to redeem him and to grant him life. The author already has life. 
He has written this psalm, hasn't he? But he is asking for everlasting life, eternal life by a Redeemer. Well before the time, he says, redeem me. In another verse, he states this plainly. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promises. Or verse 123. My eyes long for your salvation and for for the fulfillment of your righteous promises. He will love the Son because He loves the promised Redeemer. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else but the Son of God. And righteousness is found only in the Son. So Psalm 119 assumes that you will love the promised Redeemer, salvation and righteousness that are finally only fulfilled in Jesus Hence, you will love the Son if you approach Psalm 119 the right way. Clinging to God's promises of the Redeemer. Furthermore, let us look at the conviction of Psalm 119. The author has this as his overwhelming conviction conviction that the word of God is the appointed means by which you may grow in grace. He expresses these things in the following statements. God's word is the source of truth. Verse 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. The Word of God is the source of truth. Two, God's Word is to be stored up. Verse 11, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist wants to be sanctified so that he does not want to sin against the Lord. So he says that he has stored up your words in my heart, and that is the appointed means by which you grow in grace and do not sin against God. Third, God's word is to be kept. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. He requests from the Lord that he may live and keep your word. And that is to deal bountifully with your servant. How many of us ask for the Lord to deal bountifully with us or bless us so that we can keep His Word? How many of us think of it that way? That God blesses us with life so that we will keep His words. But that is the sincere conviction of the author of this psalm. For God's word is to be guarded. Verse 9. 
How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Guarding the Lord's word is the means by which the man or woman can keep his way pure. Fifthly, God's word is to be delighted in. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The author makes this promise to delight in your word, God's word, and not to forget his word. Sixth, God's word strengthens. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrows. How many of you have had real sorrow? Truly real sorrow. I suspect that you all have. But listen to the words of the song. Strengthen me according to your word. How many of us look to other things to cast away sorrow? How, many, how often do we turn to the word of God to cast it away? It may take a long time. You may have to pray a long time. But if, if you give up on God's word to strengthen, you will not find strength in anything else. The, the Christian will not ultimately be strengthened by anything else. Only God's Word, revealed Word, in order to help you grow in grace. Seven, God's Word prevents from evil. Verse one, 101 says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your Word. Keeping God's word means that you hold back from evil. God's word has nothing to do with evil. God's word is the source of truth. Truth is antipathetic to evil. So if you keep God's word, you will flee from evil. Furthermore, eight, God's word is the source of light. Psalm, excuse me, verse 105 says this often repeated verse. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God illuminates your path so that you can see clearly. And finally, number nine, God's God's word is the source of salvation. Verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. The word of God is the only means by which you can be saved. Natural revelation only gets you so far, but it is insufficient to lead you to salvation. The source of your, your salvation is in the special revelation of God, God's word. There could be many other verses cited, but we will stop there to only whet your appetite for further expositions. Suffice it to say, the author of Psalm 119 has the sincerest conviction that God's Word is the appointed means by which you are enabled to grow in grace. This brings us to our applications and conclusion. The first application I exhort you to 
confirm the assumptions of the author of this psalm. Can you affirm the assumptions of the author of this psalm? Can you confirm that you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? And do you love the Holy Spirit by which you have been given eyes to see and ears to hear? The Holy Spirit does all of this. Do you love Him? Do you love God the Father with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? The author of the psalm assumes that you do. That you will love His Word. Remember, you cannot love God without loving His Word. But loving His Word is an indication of loving God. Do you want to grow in holiness? Come to His Word in anticipation that you will grow in holiness. Every Sunday, come with the expectation to grow in holiness because you are attending to the law of God with your whole hearts. And that leads to holiness. Not as the Pharisees did it, with the heart of whitewashed tombs, but with your whole heart. Love the law like a mirror that points out your sin. And love God for pointing out that sin. And do you love the Son? Love the Son for the way that He redeems you from that which the law points out to you. And the law promises your redemption in Christ. Do you love the Son? Then you will affirm that the author of Psalm 119 assumes. Psalm 119 assumes that you are regenerate, that you love the Spirit, the Father, and the Son, and that you want to grow in holiness. The second and final application is contained in friendly advice. The advice of Philip Henry. I would advise you that you take the recommendation of Philip Henry, who was the father of Matthew Henry and a nonconformist minister. He gave this advice. He said, you should meditate on one verse from Psalm 119 every morning. Just one verse per day. Really meditate on this one verse. You can memorize it and separate its parts and divide it, and, and, and this would give you greater love for God and greater love for His Word. If you did this, uh, you would read this psalm twice every year. I plan to do that. I advise that you should do the same too. So you will love, in order that, you will love God and love His Word more and more. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that we can confirm all the assumptions of the author of Psalm 119, that we are regenerate, that we love the triune God, and by confirming those things, we will come expecting to be blessed by Psalm 119 in loving God's Word, and by it... By loving God's word, we indicate that we love God, the triune God, more and more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.